Among Christian circles today, you might hear comments about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the second blessing, and others. So what do these all mean, and how do they apply to your life? Well, stay with us and find out. Welcome to another edition of the Question and Answer program with our Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who for over 30 years answered the questions of his many listeners. We hope that you'll be able to pull up a chair with a Bible in hand and spend the next 30 minutes with us as we seek God's solutions for our questions and problems. Our first question comes to us from a listener in Los Angeles, California. She writes, How can an unbeliever expect to obtain salvation without a change of heart, that is, repentance? The argument is now being posed that repentance is not necessary, but only belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. I personally cannot understand how one can believe without first having a change of mind as to what he's going to believe. Could you provide your insight into this issue? Well, may I say to you that the question does not have to do actually with whether repentance is part of salvation, but what part and what place does it fit in in salvation? Now, the idea of some is that you go out and preach repentance, that you tell people how bad they are and that they need to change. Well, that brings tears from a great many people. And, of course, repentance is actually not the shedding of tears. Repentance, it's metanoia in the Greek, and it means to change your mind. It means to be going one way, and you turn around, go the opposite way. And repentance may have in it as a byproduct a few tears, but tears are not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Now, what brings about a change of mind? Just telling a person how bad they are, and they're a sinner, and they need to repent? Well, I don't think so myself. I think that the Bible method is the correct method and that we preach Christ. That is the thing Paul said that he did. He said to the Corinthians, he determined not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that night when the Philippian jailer came to him and said to him, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't mention repentance at all to him at first. He said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Paul had preached Christ, you see, there in that jail and also in Philippi. And he told this man he'd have to turn to Christ. Now, what is then the order in salvation? Well, may I say to you, Paul gave that also to the Thessalonians. Now, when Paul went to Thessalonica, he preached Christ, had a marvelous reception. They turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and a church came into existence. And when he wrote to them, he mentioned this. He says, how ye turn to God from idols. Now, when Paul went to Thessalonica, it's quite obvious that the first thing they did was turn to God. That is, Paul preached the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And they turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, they turned from idols. They worshipped there at the Parthenon. Athena was the chief goddess. My, I tell you, they worshipped her. They worshipped Apollo and a multitude of other gods. But now, when Paul preached Christ to them, they turned to Christ from idols. From idols came after turning to Christ. That is, in the very act of turning to Christ, they turned from idols. Well, I got my hand right here before me. I can't turn the palm of my hand around without turning the back of my hand. And you can't turn to Christ without turning from something. And that from something is your repentance. If the drunkard that comes to Christ, if he turns to Christ and then goes on drinking, he hadn't turned to Christ because when you turn to Christ, you turn from whatever your gods are, whatever it is today. And there are a lot of gods being worshipped today, liquor and pleasure and immorality and violence, all of these things. My friend, when you turn to Christ, you're going to turn from those things. And if you don't turn from them, you have not turned to him. But the important thing is to turn to Christ. We preach Christ, not repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance unto salvation. Not for salvation, but he was preparing the people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that they might receive him when he came. And finally, he marked him out as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, so that it is turning to Christ that saves. Now, repentance follows. It does not precede salvation. And I think we need to put repentance in its place today because there are too many people joining churches And believe me, we are filling our churches today with people who talk about Jesus, but they haven't turned from anything. They go on living their same old lives. And friends, when you go on living your same old life, you didn't turn to Christ. You really didn't. You can talk about him and how much you love him and all that sort of thing. That may be good, but you have to turn to Christ from idols whatever it is. Now let's put repentance in its place. And I hope that Bible teacher, and I'm so amazed that he misunderstood me like that. How could he misunderstand the things I was saying when he's a Bible teacher, that we put the thing in its place and that you not say that I do not teach repentance. I try to put repentance in the place it should be in. And friends, We do need repentance. Did you know the church needs to repent today? To every one of the seven churches the Lord Jesus wrote to in Revelation 2 and 3, he said to every one of them, repent, repent. And repentance is good for Christians, by the way. And I'm telling you, there are lots more Christians today that ought to be repenting. And it's very important, I think, 
that they do. History tells us the sad story of how the church divided over the correct mode of baptism. Some have sprinkled, others have poured, and then there are those who immerse. Well, a listener in Santa Ana, California, said she heard a minister say that Christ, our high priest, was sprinkled by John the Baptist because it followed the pattern given to the priests in the Old Testament. She then asks, how is this possible when Mark 1 says, coming up from the water? I have also thought that we were buried in baptism with Christ and that our coming up out of the water symbolized his resurrection. May I say to you that I'm sure that the passage of Scripture that says we are raised with him and buried with him in baptism, I think in the epistle to the Romans, actually refers to identification with Christ in his death and raised in resurrection, and we are buried with him, and we are raised with him, and we are now joined to a living Christ. Now, water baptism by immersion, to me, sets forth that symbolism in the church better than any other mode that I know anything about, better than sprinkling or that. And yet, I was brought up in the Presbyterian church, and I sprinkled a great many folk, but I immersed a great many more people than I ever sprinkled. I let people make their own choice in this matter, and I think it should be a personal matter, however a person feels that they should be baptized is the way that they should do it for their own satisfaction and their own peace of mind. And it should not constantly be made a subject of controversy, especially to try to attach any merit to it in salvation. And I know that my immersionist friends in the Baptist church say that it has no meaning whatsoever as far as salvation is concerned. That is, baptism does not save you, and it has no saving quality. But it certainly sets forth our salvation. It's a testimony, by the way. And I think immersion does that better way, but I don't want to debate with you about it. And then to answer this, and it'd be very easy to answer all of this man's questions about the idea of sprinkling, the symbolism that was used in anointing the priest in the Old Testament has relationship to the Lord Jesus, but has no relationship to us whatsoever. And our great high priest was set aside for that office not after the office of the Aaronic priesthood to begin with, but that which is of Melchizedek, which has no beginning or ending. That is the thing that we should keep in mind, that you can't stretch that symbolism over and make it mean something that you just want it to mean. And then the argument that, well, it was winter time. Well, I do not know whether this man realizes it. I've been to the place the traditional spot where John the Baptist baptized and also baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. I did not baptize anyone there. I won't do it because I'm so afraid people will attach some merit to it, but I always get some preacher on our tour, and I did last time, and he was a Presbyterian preacher, and he immersed several people who wanted to be immersed in the Jordan River, and it's perfectly all right if you feel you'd like to have that done, but I'm always afraid people will attach merit to that. But in that place, there are a great many springs. Sure, in wintertime, it would be cold there, 
but there happens to be a great many hot water springs there. They're all over the place. And so if you're looking for warm water for baptism in wintertime, you could find it there. So that would be no objection to immersion at all. So my feeling is that these are objections this man is raised. But the controversy goes on, and I see no reason for it in this day. Why not let's get the Word of God out today and get people to the Lord Jesus Christ? And then the mode of baptism is something that you can talk about later. But let's get the gospel to them today. That's the important thing. Our next question comes to us from a listener in Houston, Texas, who writes, First, let me say that I agree with your statement that no one can understand the Scriptures without being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The problem I'm having has to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I understand the Holy Spirit comes once and that was all that was necessary, But now I hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I also hear about having to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Could you please clarify this whole issue for me? First of all, it'll be necessary for me to give you a little background here, which apparently you do not have. There are seven definite ministries of the Holy Spirit that are related to this day of grace in which you and I live. Two of those seven are related to the world. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's in John's Gospel. And then in Second Thessalonians, we have he will hinder the spread of evil in the world. Doesn't look like he's doing very much today, does it? But this world would be a cesspool of iniquity, which it almost is. But it would be that without the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world. And then when the Holy Spirit comes to a believer, he comes to convict. You have the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. When he's come, but in that upper room discourse in John why John records that the Lord Jesus says it's essential for you, it's necessary for me to leave. For if I not, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him unto you. And when he's come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Now that's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in the world. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to the sinner and brings conviction to the sinner, then the sinner turns in faith to Christ. The Holy Spirit regenerates him. You must be born from above. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're told that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The Corinthians were very carnal believers. And Paul said to them, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, so that you and I are dwelt by the Spirit of God. And then we're told that we're sealed by the Spirit of God. We're told that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby we're sealed until the day of redemption. You can't grieve the Holy Spirit away because you've been sealed. 
until the day of redemption. And then the Holy Spirit baptizes every believer the moment they trust Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, that by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, bond or free. We've been all made to drink of one Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, at the time you trust Christ, baptizes you into the body of believers. That is, he puts you in the body of believers, identifies you in the body of believers, and you become now actually part of Christ, as it were. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. Our final question today comes to us from a listener in Scottsdale, Arizona. He writes, Could you please explain the meaning of John chapter 20, verse 23? And I need help rebutting the statement, Jesus will not again set foot on earth. Please provide some references. Well, the Olivet Discourse is a very good example. If you would read the 24th chapter of Matthew, you will find that he comes to the earth again. But here's one scripture, and this is the only scripture you actually need because it's so definite, and it's found in Zechariah, the 14th chapter, verse 4. And this whole prophecy here is the promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus to the earth to set up his kingdom. And it says here in verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Now, the mountain range through there runs, of course, north and south, but now here it's going to split across the other way. But the important thing to note here, and this is all quite literal, it says his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, I don't know how more definite you could put it than that. His feet are going to stand on earth, and it doesn't say one foot. He's just not touching down with one foot. It's both feet. And I would say that you couldn't have it more emphatic than that, could you? I can't understand in the light of that scripture in the Olivet Discourse that anyone would make a statement that actually, in my judgment, is as far out as that. Now let's come back to your question that you have on the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 23, and I'm turning to that now. John 20, at verse 23, and let me read that. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, to tell the truth, if you go back to the Gospel of Matthew and read Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 19, and then again in chapter 18 at verse 18, you will find there the very definite explanation, I think, of it. The scribes in that day, and this is a question I answered not long ago. You may have heard that answer, and that would be the one that I have to give now to you, and that is the scribes wore keys at their side. Matthew, he says, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'm taking the interpretation of the word of God away from the scribes, 
And I'm putting it actually in the hands of the church because the church will be indwelt by the Spirit of God. And he says that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit when he's come. Among the many things he'll do is he'll take the things of mine and show them unto you. Now, what is it that remits sin today? Well, the gospel. That's the only thing. So there's been given to the church a responsibility. Whosoever sins that you remit, you preach the gospel, and this man accepts Christ as his Savior. His sins are forgiven. It's been given to you to forgive that man his sins on the basis of the fact that Jesus died for him. I've taken many a person into the church on the basis of their testimony. They've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. What right do I have to take them in the church? Well, may I say to you, on the basis of the fact that they have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the gospel. And that's what remits sin. And so it's the matter of responsibility of giving out the gospel today. And I think that a great many Christians today, it's wonderful we're saved by grace. You can't add anything to God's salvation. You can't do anything to merit it. But if you've trusted him as your Savior now, you're a Christian. You're in the body of believers, which have a responsibility. And that responsibility is that somebody else is going to hear it. And you ought to be in the business of getting the gospel out. The most difficult problem I have today is to get Christians to understand that people in China can hear the gospel today. And people in Russia can hear the gospel today. We need to get the word of God out to them. But you know, it's difficult to get Christians to see that. One man, he had to go with us all the way to Monte Carlo and hear these men who do our translating tell about what the gospel is doing in Croatian, in Yugoslavian, in Hungarian, in Russian, in Polish, and Arabic, and that today many had turned into Christ. And he all of a sudden got really excited. And right now he's supporting the broadcast for the first time. And for years he's heard it, and he felt no responsibility. But when he heard these men who are natives of these different countries tell about what they are doing, man, I tell you, it made him feel a great responsibility, you see. And therefore, today, we have that that will enable people to be forgiven and go to heaven. And imagine not giving it to these people today. We got it, and we're saved, and our little group's going to heaven, and hallelujah, what do we care about the rest of them? Well, we ought to care about the rest of them. Well, I know I got off on that, but that's important, friend. But may I say to you today that the unfortunate thing, the church and the leadership, I hear them, they're telling you how to make your marriage a success. That's great. I hope your marriage is a success. And how you can reach your potential. I don't know what your potential is, and I don't know what mine is, but these new voices are saying to us, oh, we'll help you reach your potential. My friend, I don't know about this, but I have a notion your potential is to see the gospel goes out that's the last command the Lord Jesus gave. And as far as I know, he's never changed it. 
and that is that we are to preach the gospel to every creature. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, and Dr. McGee gave us some wonderful details and explanations for the questions that he dealt with. We hope that one of those questions was on your list and that as you listened, you received the answer that you were looking for. If your question wasn't answered today, then we would encourage you to dig deeper into the Word of God, to discover what the Lord has to say to you. In order to assist you in your study of the Scriptures, we'd like to remind you that we have a number of excellent resources by Dr. McGee. To receive a resource catalog, call us anytime. And when you do call, be sure to include your name, address, and the call letters of this station. If you'd like to have a copy of this broadcast, we do make them available for purchase. In fact, CDs are a great resource to have on hand to bless someone else with good teaching from the Bible. These are easy to store and to pass around to your friends, family members, and co-workers who might have the same or similar questions that Dr. McGee deals with on these broadcasts. So think about those around you and then think about how they might be blessed to hear these teachings. This week, we continue Dr. McGee's five-year journey through the whole Word of God, book by book and chapter by chapter. You can hear the Through the Bible radio program every Monday through Friday on this station, or by streaming audio from our website, or by using one of our mobile apps. To contact our offices to purchase any of our resources, ask for a catalog, or to request to be added to our mailing list for the notes and outlines and the monthly newsletter, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Do that Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Questions and Answers in the U.S. Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or visit us online at www.ttb.org. Now, until this same time next week, we pray that God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus made it This program has been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of Through the Bible Radio Network. Mm-hmm.